excuse me, I'm tied up a little bit today. All right, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. We'll continue in our study through the book of Luke. I'll uh, attempt to name this sermon, Wealth Redistribution. Maybe at the end we'll find out what wealth is being redistributed in this passage. So Luke chapter 12. Starting at verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, my, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, what is it that we have happening in this passage? It starts with a man who is uh, interested in a greater portion of his, uh, should say, the inheritance that must have come from his father. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened in this inheritance, but uh, I can guess because I have some of my own experiences in my life. I don't know how many of you have been through an inheritance dispute uh, maybe not you, but maybe your parents or uh, older relatives have. I recently uh, spoke with a friend, a fellow soccer dad. I've become a soccer dad a few months ago. And I talked with one of the other ones and um, told me a little bit of his life story. And part of it was that uh, when he was very young, he had to go to Venezuela in order to try to get part of his inheritance and what happened is actually his father tried to leave to him, uh, the man I was talking with, and really his mother, because he was just uh, maybe 11 years old. Uh, his father tried to leave to him and his mother the bulk of the inheritance because all his other children were already grown and already had their own families. It was really just him and his mother, which was a second or maybe a third wife, that really needed the help. And so the father tried to take care of them in his inheritance. Well, in Venezuela, there's a law that says that all the direct uh, children, all the children of a person can claim a share of the inheritance. Whether or not the inheritance specifies that they should get part of it, if they are a child of the father, they have a legal right for the inheritance. And so they sued in the court against their will or against the inheritance so that they can get a, whatever they consider to be a fair portion. 
And that's what this man is asking for, a fair portion. Uh, another case I had in my life is my uh, wife's uh, grandfather, my Sharon's grandfather died, and uh, he had a business that basically his son, Sharon's father, was running. He was running the business more or less for the father, and he had an understanding, the father and the son had an understanding that when the father dies, the son gets the business. And so that's what Sharon's father said, you know, I should get the business now that father is, is dead. But the siblings would say, would have none of it. There was no legal will that specified that their business should now go to Sharon's father. And so the other two uh, siblings said, no, no, there's no will. We want the business divided in three ways, really sold, and each of us get a third of it. Now, if you want to, we think it's worth whatever amount of money, you can buy our share out of us. And uh, Shen's father didn't feel the business was worth that much, so he didn't buy the business. And uh, so it was lost. And in my own family, I have uh, an aunt who uh, wasn't able to have children. And so my grandparents, especially my grandfather, who was very generous, was helping her with it. And some of you know that fertility treatments are very expensive. And they're not typically covered by health insurance. And so the other siblings saw all their future inheritance going toward just one child to try to help her with her needs. And uh, my grandparents recognized that, that this was creating strain within the family. And so they said, no, uh, we've already set aside a portion for each child. Any money that goes to her will be taken out of her inheritance. Again, so try to try to keep everybody happy. So that's what's going on here. It's interesting, in all the cases uh, that I've just uh, told you, nobody was really suffering for lack of money. Everybody really had enough. They just wanted more. And that's probably the case of this man. He's probably not starving or helpless. Or he could go to Jesus and ask for financial help. It's interesting that Jesus did have a money bag being carried by Judas, and I imagine if anybody came to Jesus with real need, saying, I have no money for food, I think they got some. I think Jesus was very free to help them out. But that's not the case here. This person probably has enough, and is really asking Jesus to help with uh, wealth redistribution. He feels he needs a little bit more of what's out there. And uh, so we see Jesus refuses, right? Jesus says to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you. Jesus refused to own this ministry of being in charge of earthly wealth redistribution. Um, for two reasons. First of all, it's not what this man needed. This wouldn't have really helped him. And uh, second of all, it really wasn't why Jesus came to earth. He didn't come to earth for wealth redistribution. Just to help, maybe it'll help with the concept of wealth redistribution, some of you may have heard about socialism. It's kind of a big word. And uh, I come from a kibbutz in Israel, which was a socialist institution. And so I have maybe a little bit of a different view of socialism from what most of you have. And, and that view is such that, well, there's people that have a lot of money in this world. And it's not really fair for the rest of us that don't have as much money. And so we need a government in place that recognizes that and they will help with the wealth redistribution. And that's what happened in, in Russia in the revolution, where the Tsar was toppled off and the communist government came into 
into uh, power is that's, that was the line they were riding. The rich have too much money, and we need to redistribute that wealth to the poor. Of course, the people who took charge of everything ended up with most of it again. So it doesn't really work, and that's one of the reasons socialism has failed around the world. And there's really now just a few residues of it. A hundred years ago, it was the rising power, and it seemed, 50 years ago, it seemed like it was going to dominate the earth. And uh, since then, we've recognized it doesn't really work. People under socialism are no better than people without socialism, and usually actually worse. So wealthy distribution doesn't work. One of the reasons of it is there's not enough to really share to make any good for anybody. We think that... Um, you know, there's maybe a lot of money in this world, and if I had a little bit more of it, I would be happy. The truth is, you could share all the wealth this world has, and nobody will be happy. There's not enough to go around. What do I mean by that? Well, look at Jesus' warning here, and this is perhaps um, the problem stated, and then we will have uh, the problem illustrated. So here's the problem stated for us in verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So first of all, what is covetousness? And, and, and obviously we could say covetousness is a sin. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, the tenth one is thou shalt not covet. Okay, so we're not supposed to do it. In this passage, Jesus doesn't stress it as much as a sin, as, a, as a, he stresses it as a danger to us or a disease. Covetousness hurts me. It hurts us. And that's why Jesus says, take heed and beware of covetousness. He's warning us twice against covetousness in this passage. So first of all, what is covetousness? Well, in the Greek, the root of the word would be take more. Or perhaps more take. And I will illustrate it to you because recently I've, I've uh, got uh, a son. Actually, my, I'm thinking of my first son now. And when he turned two years old, we decided to give him a birthday present. And uh, in our parenting class, we learned about love languages. Different people have different love languages. And my dear wife's love language is giving gifts. So when it's somebody's birthday, especially one of our children, and she really loves the child, she'll just shower them with gifts. I try to restrain her a little bit. Not sure it's always good for them to get so much, but she really likes giving them gifts. So she gave Joey uh, a set of boxcars, actually two sets. Each set had, uh, had four cars. So he has four of these little cars, another four of these little cars, and I may be wrong and, and missing my timing. I think at the same time, she also gave him a set of like four airplanes or something like that. I mean, each of them is probably only a buck. So you're not talking about a lot of money. But to him, it was all of a sudden, he has all these toys. And he would go around and kind of, you know, try to hold these toys and take them with him. And, you know, my wife, my dear wife, she has compassion on him. And so she gives him... Excuse me. Oh. Sorry, I, I missed part of, my, uh, of, of what I was going to show you. She gave him a little backpack. Okay, this was just, uh, actually, I think it was a backpack that originally was one of my girls. It was just kind of a little plastic one with maybe a Disney symbol in it. But, you know, you could stick your cars in it. I don't think all the airplanes fit. 
But, you know, most of the stuff fits, so now he could carry this little backpack around filled with all these toys. Um, well, you know, the backpack was just made out of plastic. It was pretty cheap. So after a few months, it started falling apart. And so somebody actually, I think it must have been Christmas then, somebody got him a little canvas backpack. And I don't know if they knew that he really needed it, uh, but uh, they got it for him, and, and now he could put all the stuff in, the, in his canvas backpack. Well... As he was getting more toys, he couldn't fit them all in the canvas backpack. So for Christmas, you know, he got a Christmas present, and he probably dumped the Christmas present out, but he had a box. So now he could put his toys in the box, and the box could fit more toys than his backpack fits. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, he found this. Boy, a bigger empty box. And he was able to fit more toys in it. And so now he has a box like this that he tries to carry around with him. And he has a problem because it's heavier than he can lift. But uh, that's the problem of covetousness. Uh, In fact, Jesus says here, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that one possesses. There's nothing wrong in things. There's nothing wrong in a toy or more than one toy. The problem is trying to gather an abundance. That's the root of the word, take more or more take. This continual trying to take more. Jesus is warning them about it. Why? Why? Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. What does that mean? Well, let me take you to what one's life does consist of. And then it'll be easier to see why one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. So turn with me, if you would, to Colossians. We actually sang about it. I was excited. It was our first hymn today. I don't know if anybody remembers what it was called. It's already been ten minutes ago. It was called Complete in Thee. Was that the name of it, Dave? At least that's the refrain we sang again. Complete in Thee. Well, uh, Colossians and chapter 1. I'll start reading in verse 15. He is referring to the Lord Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, And in him, all things consist. Okay, so here we have the word consist again. And it says that all things consist in Jesus, and therefore our life must also consist in Jesus. Right? Now, what does it mean that all things are consist? I don't know how many of you are uh, particle physicists, physics enthusiasts, enthusiasts, something like that. But uh, there, was, there was a major discovery, supposedly, and you know, it's probably yet to be seen whether it was true or not. 
But uh, there was an announcement made on Wednesday that they found uh, this missing particle. Some people call it the God particle. I think it had other names. But uh, basically, in the theory of particle physics, the universe consists of particles. Most of you have probably heard of atoms, right? So our bodies are actually composed of, of molecules or chemicals or proteins that are composed of atoms. Well, if you really wanted to, you could delve even smaller than atoms. Maybe some of you heard of the names uh, neutrons and protons and electrons. Ringing a bell? <laughs> well, you can even go lower than that if you want to, and you can find particles called quarks that are actually within of the protons. Okay, and uh, once you get there, you know, it really seems like it becomes a soup out there. That's as far as I got. I know that there's maybe there's several types of quarks, but they actually found that there's even more different kinds of tiny particles out there, that the only way you can somehow discover them is have this huge collision with huge amount of energy that will create these particles, and then they try to look at them with these uh, incredible pieces of equipment to try to find evidence of collisions and energies and things like that. So there was an experiment like that that cost billions and billions of dollars in Europe, and uh, finally after, I don't know, a year or so of running it, they conclude that they've seen evidence for the existence of a particle that supposedly helps them explain how this universe is made together. Well, what this passage says is that Jesus is the one that's holding this universe together. Okay, it's not... Now, he may be doing it with little particles. You know, he could if he wanted to. He may be doing it with different forces like gravity. And in fact, a lot of people will look at the natural world and see all these laws that are so perfectly preserved and say there's no way this is by chance. It's just another evidence that there's a creator. Uh, I was talking with uh, somebody at my work was really excited after this, and he came to our table and talked about it, and discussion led to the Big Bang, and somebody asked him what happened before the Big Bang. He says, oh, you're not allowed to talk about it because time didn't start before the Big Bang. Uh, but at the end, even all of that somehow points to a beginning. Somebody must have done something to start it all. Well, it says Jesus is the one. Now, so it says he's the one in whom all things consist. So one of the things that depends upon him is my life. If I'm made of molecules, and molecules is made of atoms, and you go down and down, and at the end you have Jesus holding everything together, as soon as he stops holding me together, I cease to exist. So... My life consists of Jesus in that particular sense. Now, Jesus says, your life does not consist in the abundance of things that you have. All these toys that I have in here are not holding me together. All the things that I might accumulate in this world, my car, my house, and many other things don't hold me together. My life doesn't really depend upon them. All the wealth in this world does not preserve my life. We recently had... Um, uh, a person who was probably almost the most the powerful person in the world because he was the CEO of the most powerful company in the world. Some of you may have heard of Steve Jobs. He was the, uh, the CEO of Apple. That was the biggest, most, uh, uh, I guess, valuable company in the world. And he died of cancer. And I, I don't think he was a very old. I think he was in his 50s or something like that. So all the wealth and power in the world can't preserve you. Okay, Jesus can. He can preserve your life. Um, the other things that these don't do is uh, these things can't make me happy. Jesus can. We were saying about being complete in him. 
It's not just that he is the one that sustains my life. He is the only one that can fill my soul. He is the only one that can give me true fulfillment in life. These things can't. So that's why Jesus was warning, uh, back to Luke, that's why Jesus was warning his listeners and this person that was so interested in this wealth he could get from this inheritance, Jesus was warning him, uh, take heed and beware Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not, does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Okay, the warning stated. Next, the warning illustrated. So now Jesus continues and he tells us a parable. And the purpose of the parable is to bring this out in a real, or if you would, an example people could understand. We have that for us in verse 16. I'll go ahead and reread the parable because it's been some time since we read it, verse 16, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? I'm going to first attempt to bring out some things that are less easy to see in the parable, and then I'll focus on what's more obvious. And um, think of this as the dangers of covetousness illustrated. Okay, danger number one that uh, you have here is that uh, all these things that this person got, so, so he's, it says here that the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Why did it yield plentifully? Where did all this plenty come from? Was that in his own power to yield plants out of the ground? No, it was God that yielded it, especially in those days where they didn't really have uh, all the sophisticated irrigation you have. It really mostly relied on the rain. And who brought the rain? God did. And it relies on the sun. And who brought the sun? God did. So really all the things that these men have come from God. And yet, where is God in this passage? Does he thank God? Does he acknowledge God? Does he appreciate God for any of these things? Uh, why not? Colossians 3.5 tells us, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Is The things that he was after were replacing God in his life. Uh, going back to Joey, the Joey illustration, and I may give examples that may not be actually true of Joey, but uh, the reason Sharon gave him these toys is because she loves him, and the number one thing she wants is that he realizes that she loves him. That's why she's giving him those toys. It's a communication of love. And uh, that's the same reason God gives us things. He wants us to realize that he loves us. He loved this man in the parable. He gave him all these good things. 
God wanted some appreciation. He wanted to be appreciated for what he gave. And yet, the man does not appreciate him. So if Joey, as a result of us giving all these toys, say, you know, he's just in his room playing with his toys, and we say, Joey, uh, come out for dinner. Oh, no, no, I'm playing with my toys. You know, Joey, uh, come, we're going to read some stories. We're going to spend some time as a family. We're going to do this. No, 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 I'm just playing with my toys. He doesn't want to see us anymore because he has his toys. It's missing the purpose. That's the first danger of covetousness. It breaks the connection we should have with God. The whole idea is that we love God more, we appreciate him more. And instead there's the opposite here because of the desire to have and hold more. <clears throat> By the way, Joy didn't do that. And if he did, we have ways of taking care of it. But, uh, but it's a danger. It's a real danger. A second one that also may not be quite as obvious, doesn't shout at you in this passage, is another reason that uh, we give our kids toys is so that they share them with one another. Right? We, we might give uh, Nessia you know, a soccer ball. We would hope that she'd share it with her other siblings and play soccer with her other siblings. In the same way, God here is giving this man all this stuff. It's not out of an intention that this guy holds it like that. The intention is that the guy will actually share it with others. There's a lot of people next to this man that are doubtlessly in need. We live in a world, and I forget the most recent statistics, but something like a third go to bed hungry every day. God gives us things not just so we hold them, but so that we share. <clears throat> the third thing that, uh, and again, that's what covetousness robs from us. God wants to use us as a channel of blessing to others. And if instead everything that God gives me, I'm trying to hold like this and put in my box, like this man was, I'm preventing God from using me as a channel of blessing for others. So we, we lose a big part of the blessing God intended for us when he gave us the stuff. Okay. Uh, the third thing that uh, we lose, and uh, <clears throat> the third thing that this person loses and, and applies to us, of course, is the enjoyment of the things. Uh, if you want to, you can turn to 1 Timothy 6. I'll just read the verse, just a couple of verses. But uh, 1 Timothy 6, starting verse 17, says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God gives us things for the purpose of enjoying them. Well, number one, he wants us to appreciate him. Number two, he wants us to share it with others and be a channel of blessing to others. Number three, he wants us to actually enjoy the things that he gives us. Well, you don't see that in the case of this man, right? He gets all this stuff, and instead of enjoying it, he's like worried about it, you know, where will I find a bigger box to store all this stuff in? This is a problem. And uh, yeah, uh, Sharon made an observation that, you know, this big box of toys become a burden for joy. Everywhere he goes, he wants to bring his big box. And right now he can, like, barely push it. And then he comes to one of us and asks him to help him move it somewhere. It becomes a burden. And that's what happened to this man. All the riches God has given him, Instead of him appreciate, instead of appreciating God for it, instead of sharing it with others, instead of actually enjoying it himself, it's become a burden to him. That's the result of covetousness. 
trying to hoard things. <clears throat> okay. Uh, now, really, for the most obvious one, the most obvious consequence of uh, covetousness is it makes a fool out of us. And uh, this is a, a strong word. Uh, the whole passage kind of strikes you a little bit as being almost overstrong in how Jesus is responding to this person, but there's a purpose, and that is that purpose, the person is just not recognizing that he's missing the most important thing in his life. It's right there in front of him. It's Jesus. Jesus can give him everything he, he needs. His life consists in Jesus, and he's missing it because he wants this money that is in this inheritance over here. So Jesus is using strong words because of that reason, but yet the, the, the biggest consequence of covetousness, it makes fool out of us. We spend ourselves on that which has no value, and we miss that that has the greatest value. Uh, I think we have time, so go ahead and turn to Psalm 49. There's actually an entire psalm dedicated to the subject. So I thought uh, we might as well turn to that psalm. That's Psalm 49. Excuse me. Psalm 49. I'll go ahead and read it, and as I read it, I'll stop and try to give some, some thoughts on it. Hear this, all you people. Give ear, all you inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. So first of all, this is a message for everybody. Now, we'd like to isolate this man and say, well, this man was a fool, the rest of us are better than his. Well, no. This statement really applies to most of the world. The great majority of the people, their heads are down here. You know, where is the stuff that I can get? It's not up here looking to God and what God has to give them. So really, this applies to, to everybody. <clears throat> my mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall bring understanding. I will incline mine ear... To a proverb, I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. So <clears throat> he wants to give us wisdom and understanding. In fact, the word Jesus uses for a fool is one without understanding. One without understanding. Jesus looks at this world, God looks at this world, and he sees people without understanding. They don't understand what is it that they really need. They're going after this instead of what they really need. Without understanding. Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. Pit. Okay, so here he talks about those who are gathering wealth. They're becoming rich, right? We have that in verse 6. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches. Those are, these are them that are gathering stuff here. But it says none of them can by any means redeem his brother. They can't really do anything to help their brother or themselves with what they really need. What is it that they really need? They need a ransom for their soul. 
They need, they need uh, something to pay for their sins. Because, because of their sins, they're separated from God. And that means when they die, they will go into hell, eternal separation from God. And what he's saying here is there's nothing that all this stuff can buy. I can accumulate all this wealth. I can be Steve Jobs and get billions of dollars and own companies or be CEO of companies like Apple, and yet I can't save a single individual from their sins. That's what I meant when I said, you could redistribute all this world's wealth and there won't be enough for anybody. There's not going to be enough to save a single person from their sins and assure that they will have an eternal life instead of going to hell. Verse 10 For he sees that wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings, Selah. Like the sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. Let me take a break and just, and just uh, look at the beginning of verse 14. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Sheep are not very smart. They will follow someone who is leading them to slaughter. And I think that's what really bothered Jesus the most in this sin. He was seeing people this man in particular, heading to his doom, and he was trying to wake him up. That's why he's talking abruptly like that. You know, who made me a judge or an arbitrator among you? And, and uh, using a parable where God calls somebody a fool, can't you see what a mistake you're making? He's trying to wake people up to that. <clears throat> the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. You can't take any of this stuff with you. You can't take it. You're going to have to leave it all behind to somebody else. Why spend your entire life trying to accumulate it when you're just going to have to give it away at the end? It has no value for you. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives... He blesses himself, for man will praise you when you do well for yourself. The truth is, people think they're doing great. You will find a license plate that will say on it, he who dies with the most toys wins. People believe that by gaining worldly wealth, you're doing well for yourself. They'll bless themselves when they accumulate worldly wealth. And people will praise them and say, isn't that person doing wonderfully? I mean, that's the world in which we live. God calls it fools. But that's the world we live in. <clears throat> he shall go down, he shall go to the generation of his fathers, they shall never see light. Man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beasts 
that perish. One of the most graphic words that's being used in this passage is dying like beasts or being like a beast that perishes. Why is it? What, what is it that makes us like a beast? Well, what is it that separates us from beasts? The one thing that separates us from them is that we were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God for the purpose of knowing Him and having a relationship with Him. If you deny God, if you don't know God, and you don't have a relationship with Him, you die like the beasts. There is no difference. You threw away the value that God has invested in you. You die like the beasts. That's not what God wants. Okay, <clears throat> back to our passage in Luke. We'll finish up with the last verse. And... Uh, Maybe we'll return to the original thought I had, that of wealth redistribution. Verse 21 says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So we have two options here. First of all, it's a choice made to all of us. Jesus is opening it up. So is he. Based on what? One who lays treasure for himself. You can do this. Or you can be rich toward God. Now, it's interesting. The two, the two thoughts are not perfectly parallel. In one case, you have somebody who's laying treasure to himself. He keeps laying treasure. But he's never rich. He never have anything that has any value to it. And the other, you have one that is rich toward God. But it doesn't say how he gets his wealth. How is it that he becomes rich? Let me suggest a verse to you that explains how that happens. How is it that you can be rich toward God? Well, we have it for us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. I do not become rich toward God by anything that I do. I become rich toward God by what, by what Christ has done. This is the wealth redistribution that we really needed. The one who had all the wealth, Jesus, in heaven, in perfect fellowship with God, enjoying every blessing in the heavenly places, has become a man and lower than a man and dying on the cross for you and for me. He became poor. Everything was taken from him. Why? That we might become rich and be gathered up from the earth, though we are sinners, and go up into heaven and in heaven have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the, that's the wealth redistribution program Jesus was in. He came down to earth to give us everything. He became poor so that we could become rich. And this is what he was thinking toward this man. Again, he's not being mean to this man. He's trying to wake him up because Jesus spent so much so that this person can have all the riches and blessings of God. And in his blindness, this person was walking away from all those riches. This is the choice we all have. Jesus became poor. Will you become rich because of what Jesus has done? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he looked upon us, earthly creatures that lived in sin and separated from him and were not even interested in what he had to offer us. And yet he came down, became poor so that we can have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We pray for anyone here who might be blinded with the riches of this world, that you might open their eyes to show them that they are empty and they have nothing, but that in your Son, the Lord Jesus, you have provided for them everything that they need. We pray that they will come to him today. For we ask it in his name. Amen.